Welcome to Carve Your Own Fucking Path, a podcast featuring candid interviews with unconventional entrepreneurs who are boldly building a business and life on their own terms. I'm your host, Willow, video producer and storyteller at Be Seen Productions. My mission is to elevate your online presence. All my guests on the show also have a big mission and inspiring story to share. You'll hear messy truths, triumphs, and tribulations from entrepreneurs who have been there and done that and who are unapologetically blazing their own trail. If you're starting out in business, you'll gain practical insights and tips so you know what it takes. And if you've been waiting for a sign to carve your own fucking path, this is it. Okay, let's meet my next guest. Let's talk about sex. (laughs) Okay, imagine that you knew as a teenager that your life purpose was to give sex and relationship advice. Meet my next guest, Dr. Claudia Six. She has been carving her own path as a sex therapist for over 30 years now. She has a best-selling book, a TED Talk, and a vibrant private practice. And Dr. Six has a very clear message. Sexuality is about the bigger picture of how you live your life. Listen in as Dr. Six and I talk about her compelling story of being a young trailblazer with a passion for helping people live their best life through sex. Okay, let's meet Dr. Claudia Six. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Claudia Six. I have been really looking forward to this conversation and I will briefly introduce you. You have many accolades. First of all, you're a badass mama and entrepreneur (laughs) and you're a, a clinical sexologist. So you have a PhD in sexology. You are a sex therapist, relationship coach, best-selling author, speaker, you know, TEDx speaker, and you've been in this for over 30 years. Yes. So you know what you're talking about. I do. I know my material at this point. Yes. <laughs> That's great. So I always love to start with people's backstory. In your particular case, you're from, you're born and raised in France. So I would love for you to start there and just tell us, you know, growing up in this European country, which has much more, a much more open culture and different perspective, you know, than we do in the US. And so take us back there. I was born and raised in Paris um, to a French father and an English mother. So I grew up bilingual, which is why I don't sound French. I don't have that sexy French accent. <laughs> and, um, and I think my parents probably wanting to buy themselves some time decided that in terms of sex education, they were gonna wait until I asked questions. And apparently I must have asked questions at a very young age, because when I was five years old, I had all the information. And, you know, in Catholic countries, widows all wear black. And my grandmother's, my French grandmother's widowed friends, you know, would sit around and drink coffee all dressed in black as widows do. And I would tell them all about how babies were made. And they were like, you know, I mean, they thought it was really cute and, you know, and fucking probably, you know, a little surprising that a five-year-old had all this information. So I think I had an early sort of affinity for the subject, or at least curiosity. Mm -hmm. And my parents weren't always like, you know, they always said, oh, you can ask anything, you know, parents do that. But then when you ask, they're a little uncomfortable, but I just kept asking. So I don't, I mean, I don't remember not knowing. And Mm -hmm. I think it's really important for kids to know about sex before they care, like give them the information before they need it. So that when they do need it, they have it. And, um, you know, in Paris on the metro, you know, there's all walks of life. 
and I would see prostitutes and I would see cross-dressers and I would see, you know, swishy homosexuals and they were just part of the human landscape. It was mm-hmm. not like, oh my God, look, you know, there's a hooker over there. It was just, you know, they were just on the Metro going about their business like everybody else. And so, but I remember as a young child having this awareness that they they were sexual beings. You know, they carried their sexuality around. You know, mm-hmm. it, was, it was kind of visible. Like the rest of us, it's not necessarily visible. Right. But I, as a young child, I was aware that they were like more visibly sexual beings than others. And I mean, I didn't think anything of it. And as a teenager, I personally was quite a late bloomer. Mm-hmm. But when I was 15, you know, my friends were like, you know, riding the back of motorcycles and they were like getting abortions. And, and I was the one saying, look, get yourself on birth control and don't do anything you don't want to do mm-hmm. and make sure you're having pleasure too. And it's not just all about him. So I was dispensing advice with actually no, no hands-on practical experience, but I seemed to have the information and they, and they didn't. So people would kind of like come to me, you know, to talk to me about this. Mm -hmm. And also in the background of my childhood, there was this calling radio show. And I've looked it up. It started when I was four years old and it ended when I was 19, which Mm -hmm. is the year I left France. And it was many Grégoire. And it was mostly about sex and relationships or else that's just the only parts I remember. But either I'd be on vacation at my French grandmother's house, and she was a fabulous baker, and this show was on in the afternoon, and my grandmother would bake, you know, these wonderful, like, tarts and cakes, and, and I'd have my goûter, which is like a mid-afternoon snack, and I, you know, and it was such a wonderful feeling being in my grandmother's kitchen and hearing this call-in radio show every afternoon. It was just sort of in the background of my childhood, and then when I wasn't on vacation at my grandmother's, after school, I would go to my best friend, Christine. I'd go to her parents' house to do my homework. And they worked from home. They actually sewed raincoats. And um, this was on in the background also, because they were sitting at their sewing machines. And this was, they would listen to this, and we would be in the corner of the workshop doing our homework. So Mene Grégoire was always in the background. And I think it shaped my brain you know, in a way that was like, oh, you could, you know, people talk about this. This is important. People, you know, it's like this thing that I seem to be aware of, like people mm-hmm. are talking about. And same thing in college. I was the one dispensing advice. I had a, a friend at one point who was, she was in kind of an abusive relationship and and I was, you know, I was a ski bum in Aspen and I was sort of in between seasons and and we were talking on the phone a lot. And, and I was kind of talking to her about setting boundaries and speaking up for herself and not doing anything she didn't want to do. And, and um, one day after we were talking, she said, God, Claudia, you always say the right thing. You always make me feel so much better. You should be a sex therapist. And I, you know, we both chuckled and I thought, yeah, you know, right. But then, you know, after I hung up the phone, I was like, hmm, you know, you work for yourself. It's a little edgy 
and mm -hmm. different. And, um, and I thought, you know, this is really what I noticed in the world. And, and frankly, this is the only thing that really interests me. Mm. Okay. So once I realized I wanted to do this, um, since at the time I was a ski bum in Aspen, <laughs> I went to the Pitkin County Library, which is probably about the size of your living room. I haven't seen your living room, but it was quite <laughs> small. And any book remotely related to sex, I would check out. And this was before the internet, you know, mm -hmm. back in the dark ages. And I would check the references in the back. And then I would go to the yellow pages and I would track these people down and I would call them mm. and I would say, well, you know, I live in Aspen and, you know, I'm, I'm a geography major. I didn't graduate yet, but I want to be a sex therapist. You know, what, what do you recommend? And, and a number of them recommended this school in San Francisco. So that's okay. where I ended up. Mm -hmm. So then I had to finish my undergraduate degree in geography because, you know, it's a requirement when you're going to be a sex therapist, you have to, you know, get a geography degree. I was lost and confused in college and geography was interesting and there were lots of guys in the geography department. Mm -hmm. so I was like, oh yeah, great, I'll be a geography major. You know, I'll learn about clouds and water and rocks and forests and you know. So I had to go back to San Diego State, finish my undergrad in geography. And then I had to do two years of prerequisite psych classes because I had never in my life had a psych class. Mm -hmm. And then I had to find a master's program that would accept me and nobody took me seriously. I've been on academic probation. I've been a water ski instructor for Club Med before being a ski bum in Aspen. And I wanted to be a sex therapist. It's like people just laughed me out of the admissions office. And then this kind of slightly alternative grad school said, yeah, sure, you know, we'll take you. And I did a two year master's in a year and a half. And then, um, and to make it work, I was a nanny. And um, it took me three years to pay it off, to pay for the master's. And then I moved to San Francisco and I got my, so it was a master's in psychology because mm -hmm. I had to learn about therapy before learning about right. you know, how to do sex therapy. And I felt strongly about that. That now there's no sort of state regulation for this. Mm. But I felt very strongly that ethically and professionally and just in terms of my skills. So I learned about therapy and then I moved to San Francisco and I got a PhD in clinical sexology. Okay. And I'm Dr. Six. It's a Dr. great name. It's, it's so good. It's, it's, <laughs> it's brilliant. And I'm curious if when you were going through the formality of studying all of this, did it connect with you on that same level? Did it feel like, okay, this is this is my path. Oh, absolutely. It, mm -hmm. um, it felt like life. I mean, I don't want to sound like corny, but it felt like my calling. Mm -hmm. Sounds it like really it. Did. Yep. Yeah. It felt like life purpose. I mean, you know, raising a child has been life purpose as it is mm -hmm. for a lot of women, mostly women, but being a sex therapist was definitely life purpose. There, there was literally nothing else that really mm. interested me. Mm -hmm. you know, to make a career out of, right. I mean, you know, in my fantasies, you know, you know, it's like some people say, oh, so if you couldn't have been a sex therapist, you know, what career would you have liked? I would have been a downhill. I'm not that athletically talented, you know, I'm not, 
that's just the fantasy. There's really nothing else that really interests me other than sex therapy. Mm-hmm. I love these stories. It's very unique to know at such a young age what you wanted to be. I think we all had an idea. I think rarely we follow that path. And those years that you were ski bumming in Aspen and, and water ski instructing, did you feel like, okay, I have time to like yes. go down this road? Okay. Yeah. You figured. I did. Yeah, I did. I felt like I had time. And I also, um, you know, my school was just, I was just kind of done, you know, the geography. I mean, it was interesting, but it wasn't really, I didn't want to be an urban planner or work for the FBI or be a teacher. I mean, like, Hmm. I mean, I knew it wasn't going to be a career and I figured, you know, just like having kids, I felt like, oh, you know, I got time and, and this is compelling and it's fun. And all my mm-hmm. friends are like, you know, they've got their degrees and they're buying condos and they've got, you know, the picket fence and the SUV. And I was just kind of like, oh, you know, I just want to have some fun. So, right. so I was a jock for a few years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> a jock. I like that. I can identify for sure. Definitely did the, the ski bum thing and, and the surf thing as well, much later okay. in life, but it's good to just take time and have fun doing those things. Now, what is it, if you could pinpoint it, about sexology, this type of work that lights you up, if you could sum it up in a, in a sentence? I can definitely sum it up because, you know, sex is very vulnerable and it's very compelling. Mm-hmm. And humans have been doing it for a long, long time. Yeah. But what really like floats my boat about it is witnessing people coming from the best in themselves and wanting more for themselves and wanting to grow despite Mm -hmm. how vulnerable. And I mean, you know, at first it's really awkward for people to talk about sex. I mean, for me, it's really easy, Mm -hmm. but there's tremendous discomfort for people in, in, dealing with their sexual issues but they want more for themselves and that is such a privilege and an honor every time right every time okay so personally in your own life you're studying this you're in your your mid-20s i'm assuming uh yeah mid late 20s yeah okay so in your relationships how did this affect your relationships you could speak to that. That is a great question. Well, when I was studying sexuality, once I was in my PhD program, I would say it, in, I mean, I'm not flattering myself, but I think it intimidated a lot of guys. Mm-hmm. And I think people imagined that I was like, you know, swinging from the chandeliers every night and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And I'm really, you know, pretty, I'm like vanilla, monogamous, hetero. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I've, I've been exposed to a lot mm-hmm. and I've tried some things just to sort of, sort of re-examine who I am. But I think when I was dating, it intimidated a lot of guys. So those guys who weren't, it's sort of like weeded out a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And those guys who weren't intimidated um, sort of, you know, it sort of narrowed the field of who was available for me to date. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, you know, I'm, I'm, 
I'm open-minded and I'm, I'm sexuality affirming. I think sexuality is part of life energy. Mm-hmm. It really is. You can't suppress it. But, you know, I'm really, you know, pretty boring. <laughs> I mean, I'm open and comfortable, but I'm not, you know. Right. Yeah. I know what you mean. And becoming an expert in something, what does that entail exactly in your field? Years and years of study. I mean, I -hmm. I got the master's, I got the PhD. I had ongoing um, sort of supervision. Like I hired a couple of the, what I call them sort of the gods in the field, you know, the ones who write Mm -hmm. the books on on the books on human sexuality and relationships and sex therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I hired two of them. And once a month I would consult about cases so it was, you know, just me. It wasn't a group thing because I just wanted to have their undivided attention to talk about my cases and learn. Like, what okay. can I do better? What, I did, you know, workshops all the time, like week-long workshops several times a year to perfect my craft mm-hmm. because there's nothing more dangerous than somebody who's right out of grad school and thinks they know it all. Okay. But it's like the more you learn, the more you realize how little you knew. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, I always felt like it was a huge responsibility, you know, mm-hmm. dealing with this vulnerable aspect of people's lives. And I felt strongly that I wanted to be as qualified as I could be. Mm-hmm. And I'm always reading books. I've always got like two or three, you know, sex therapy books. I've got, look, there's one right there, couples <laughs> on the brink of course. If there's none I want to hear about trauma. I mean, that's just like, you know, there's one over here. Yeah. So there's, there's this sex and therapy books around me all the time mm-hmm. and I have a young child so it takes a while to get through them right <laughs> but yeah I'm always perfecting the craft I think you can never get complacent mm-hmm. and I think the first you know, probably 10-15 years of my career that at the end of each day I would sort of grade myself like how did you do today did you do okay therapy did you do like really good therapy or were you like really excellent? Mm. You know, and I would grade mm. myself. And now at the risk of sounding arrogant, I'd say most, I mean, I don't really do it anymore, but now I'm pretty confident that I'm excellent. Mm-hmm. You know, yes. Favorite. Would you recommend getting a PhD? I would. And you know, there's a lot more options now mm. than when I was training 30, 35 years ago. Mm-hmm. There are a lot more schools with human sexuality programs. This, if I go on LinkedIn, there's all these young like whippersnappers with degrees <laughs> in sexuality. It didn't used to be that way. Right. I mean, I can, yeah. coming out of the woodwork in this profession, but it's not a state regulated profession, which is a blessing oh. and a curse. Mm-hmm. It's a blessing because you can blaze your own trail and you have to. There's mm-hmm. also nobody to say, well, you want to be a sex therapist? Well, here, I'm going to show you what to do. You just follow and, you know, it's not like that. Okay. It's a field where you really have to blaze your own trail. But I do feel that ethically people should be as qualified as they can be. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, there's all kinds of, I'm not dissing, you know, coaches, but there's all kinds of like sort of weekend programs right. where you can get some kind of sketchy certification and put up a shingle and the public doesn't necessarily know the difference. Right. And I think, I mean, I had clients last night who have been 
so misled by previous therapists. It's tragic. Mm. Wow. They've been through so much unnecessary pain, misdiagnoses. And I mean, you know, it, I mean, it's not like, you know, I'm, you know, my shit doesn't stink, but <laughs> it's, it's really, it's really tragic. That, it, it is. Yeah. It, the coaching world is highly unregulated and you just nailed it. It's very, it could be potentially dangerous. You know, these people throwing things out there that are misguided. And so you do call yourself a relationship coach. Yes. As well. Because the public understands what that is. They understand okay. sex therapy, but then they think, oh, well, she just deals with sex. When we actually have a lot of anger and built up resentments and we're fighting all the time, but she can't help us with that because she's just a sex therapist. Mm. Uh, how many times people say, well, you know, we've got this other, we've got this communication problem, but can you help us with that? Cause you, and I'm like, yes, absolutely. It's all part of the, right. so I say, you know, clinical sexologist and relationship coach, because they go together. They don't, nothing operates in a vacuum. It's mm -hmm. like the way you show up in bed is the way you show up in the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. So that's why I try to clarify, use as many, as many words as possible. And on my website, it says, you know, board certified by the American Sexology and, you know, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. So that people get, and also I want people to understand when they look at my website, it's not hands-on. Like I say, it's all talk, no action. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You're not <laughs> showing in, anything. Yeah. Especially in these days of COVID, I'm not demonstrating. I'm not there helping. It's like, it's yeah, counseling. purely so, talking. Okay. And so what really after all these years, I mean, this is maybe a big question, but what is the most, can you, is there any moments where you're thinking like, this is where you really shine? I'm good at diagnosing because mm. people come in thinking the problem is A, but actually it's B. Okay. Um, I can't think of an example off the top of my head. Um, I could say, for example, often people say, well, the problem is he can't keep an erection. Okay. And because nothing operates in a vacuum, mm -hmm. the problem is actually that she's constantly making him wrong and cutting him off at the knees. And she's been pissed off at him since she was in labor for 26 hours and he went out to get Chinese food. Mm -hmm. So she's pissed off. She makes him wrong gee, no wonder the guy can't keep an erection because he's anxious. Right. And he's, and he's trying to, I mean, I don't know if I can cuss on your podcast. Oh yeah, of course. Okay. But he's trying to fuck a woman who's pissed off at him. And it's like, who wouldn't be anxious? Mm -hmm. So the first thing I do is I help people sort of clarify what is really the issue? What is really going on? Mm -hmm. And if I could just digress for a minute about my book, the yes. purpose of the book was people don't fully explore all of who they are. They think they are, you know, people tend to sort of buy into the predominant cultural model of, you know, hetero, monogamy, vanilla, you know, but actually there's so much more to who people are, mm -hmm. but they don't examine that. So in the first few sessions with, with people, individuals and couples, I'm trying to sort of unpack like, who is this person? Like, what's the bigger picture of who they are sexually? 
Mm-hmm. And in the book, I go into sort of who are you sexually and then embracing that and how to live that authentically. Mm-hmm. And I call that erotic integrity. And that's my lens when I work with people. Okay. Um, I don't necessarily use those words, but that's where I'm coming from. And that's what I want for them. Mm-hmm. Figuring out how does it make sense for people to be having the difficulties they're having. And then just going slow. You can't go, people always say, well, how many sessions is this going to take? And I'm like, that is a reasonable question, but it's not one I can realistically answer without having even had a first session with you. Mm-hmm. And you'll get a better sense. And I tell them I'm very straightforward. I'm very direct. You know, I'm not a drop the breadcrumbs kind of therapy, sort of watching you wait for you to figure it out. Mm-hmm. So just going slow and, and pacing people and helping them see how they contribute to the difficulties they're having and having them own the crap they've been pulling. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, wow, I've been doing that. Ooh, that's not good. And, you know, just owning it, not to self-flagellate, but just mm-hmm. own it. And then, and then what do you want to create mm-hmm. for yourself and your partner? Right, okay. Would you say that you're a problem solver? In my mind, I am. Mm-hmm. But for the clients, I'm more, yeah, they want the problem fixed. They're in pain and guys want to fix. So guys want the problem fixed and, and everybody wants the pain to go away. So in my mind, yes, I want to help them, mm-hmm. but it's not a sort of A to B. It's not like, okay, well, you have this problem. So you got to do this, this, and this, and mm-hmm. that will solve the problem. Like you got a flat tire you know, you call AAA or you get your, you know, your jack and you, your patches or whatever. I don't change tires, right. I, I have to, but I, I, I call AAA. Yeah. So it's not a doing. People always think that fixing a sexual problem is a doing thing. Mm. And I tell them sex is not a doing thing. It's a being thing. Mm-hmm. It's about how you be. It's about how you show up. It's about settling yourself down. It's about being grounded and connecting to yourself and being present with yourself and being present with the other person. Mm-hmm. And everything flows from there. You can't possibly do it wrong if you start with that. And how do you think this spills out into other areas of life? All of them. Mm-hmm. You know, be, just be present with yourself and pay attention. And don't sort of plow forth because in your head, you have an idea about how things are going to be. It's like, if your penis doesn't want to get an erection, it's like, don't, don't plow forth. If you think she's checked out, don't plow forth and just kind of get, you know, get it over with and just, Mm -hmm. you know, just put blinders on. It's like, pay attention and be present and, and your experience will be so much fuller. Mm -hmm it may not be necessarily what you're expecting. And that's part of the beauty of it. Right. And what kind of practices do you, do you teach them anything, any grounding practice, mindfulness or meditation, anything like that? Um, yes. Um, there's one particular exercise that I, there's two that I teach, but they're very similar. One is 
hugging till relaxed. It's like when people can't ground, I have them stand face to face and close their eyes and ground themselves, not say anything. Mm -hmm. And then when they're ready, open their eyes. And when they're both ready, move towards each other and hug each other. And, and just, just be there and mm -hmm. notice what happens. You know, somebody might giggle, somebody might get awkward, somebody might shift around a lot, you know, somebody might open their eyes, you know. And then when it's time, you know, separate. And then we sit and we talk about it. Mm. Where was your attention? Was it all on the other person, like being hypervigilant? Like, are they okay? Are they liking this? What's going on? Because that's what happens in bed. Same thing. Mm -hmm. And then there's another exercise I have people do, which is, I think in Tatra, it's called Yab Yum. My boyfriend calls it Yum Yum, <laughs> which is a lot easier for people to remember. <laughs> and I have a, you sit like the man assuming a heterosexual model, which is not always the case. Mm -hmm. A man sits on the floor, like cross-legged or like with his feet together. Okay. And then the woman sits in his lap with her legs around him. Mm -hmm. So they're like face to face. And they will automatically synchronize their breath mm -hmm. and just look at each other. And again, don't talk. So it's just a variation on the theme. But here there's eye contact. And that makes, mm -hmm. that gives people the heebie-jeebies. Yeah. It's like, you know, they can put the penis in the vagina, but looking at each other, it's like, oh my God, that's really scary. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then looking at each other when the penis is in and out of the vagina, that's like, you know, that's ultimately that's what, that's what makes it really good. Right. Yeah. yeah. But that's, so that's another exercise. And I have people like do it for three minutes every night. Hmm. And then people, even if people are not getting it on because life is happening, they're sick, mm -hmm. you know, whatever, they, you know, they're working, they say they feel more connected and that maintains, it can be an erotic, energetic connection, mm -hmm. even if they're fully clothed. It just may, it just sort of like keeps the embers burning. Mm, yeah. But I do highly recommend, I tell people to exercise, moving the body stills the mind. Mm -hmm. whatever it's going to be i don't care if it's tai chi or triathlons or anything in between i do often recommend that people meditate mm -hmm. because just being able to be still is kind of a it's a developmental task you know it's something everybody needs to be able to do thank you for sharing those specific techniques because it's so simple yet i think that's what happens is we don't take the time for that three minute, you know, connection with each other. And that shifts everything. Absolutely. And okay. So your book, your book, is it a new book that came out five years ago? Okay. But it's, uh, I think in the business, it's called an evergreen book. Like it's like, it's not, you know, it's not, it's not like a book about Trump. That's going to like go out of style or, you know, it's like right. sex is not going to go out of style. So it's, it's an evergreen topic. Everything that's in there is, is still totally relevant. There's like 10 or 11 chapters, different theme in every chapter. Hopefully something that everybody can relate to. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's story, there's cases um, inspired by my clients with any identifying information moved, of course. So there's stories. And then there's how those clients found their erotic integrity and at the end of each chapter, there's questions for the reader 
to ask themselves about that topic. Like if, you know, infidelity, um, you know, have you ever been deceitful by omission? Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's being out of erotic integrity. And, and if you are unfaithful, like what, you know, why? And, you know, do you pout when your partner withholds sex? And, you know, so just questions for self-examination. Okay. I love when there's real case studies because we, yes, they're all very real. we can put ourselves in those stories. So I find that those, that type of content is so much more powerful because we, yeah, we can identify and then have these tangible examples. And I love that you, ref, you have people reflect back into their own lives instead of just reading this juicy case study, you know, asking these powerful questions. And so the book came out and that was your first book. My only book, as only far book. as I know. Well, you know, partly because I have a young child. For years, people said, oh, you know, what you do is so interesting. You should write a book. And I'm like, yeah, you know, people have been having sex for like a long, long time. I haven't come up with anything new. So if I come up with something new, I'll write a book. And then one day I realized, you know, I do have something new. It's this, mm-hmm. this, this lens of erotic integrity. Mm-hmm. And, and I trademarked it and it's my thing and I'm the only one who's used it. So, okay. uh, so that's what I called the book. And that's the theme. It's my lens when I work with clients. Mm-hmm. And, and you're coining it as how to be yourself, your true self sexually. But yeah, how to discover who you are authentically and how to live your sexuality authentically. Mm-hmm. You know, some of us are more bisexual than we know. Some of us are a bit more cross-dressers than we know. Some of us are more exhibitionists than we have really sort of, you know, looked into, you know, it's, and, and it's, people think they're supposed to be a certain way and they, everybody wants to know if they're normal. It's like, I don't care if you're normal. Mm -hmm. I only care if what you're doing works for you and whoever you're doing it with. You know, people think everybody down the street is doing the same thing. It's like, trust me, they're not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and this word normal doesn't exist, right? In yeah. your opinion, yeah. And, well, and the alternative is heinous. It's like, what, you're going to be abnormal, sick, twisted, perverted? It's like, no. It's like, just, right. just be your true self. Okay. And I'm, okay, so you did spend some time in San Francisco, which is where I'm from. And living in a place like that is very sexually open. So I'm curious, what have you seen? Like what huge shifts have you seen in your 30 plus years in this, in this business? Well, there's the internet. Right. Mm, that's and, Yeah. You know, and there's a lot more, you know, there's all these dating apps mm-hmm. and there's all these chat rooms for everything under the sun. And, but other than that, you know, sex itself hasn't changed a whole lot people are still doing what they're doing there's definitely new lingo people are not really doing anything differently everybody wants to be desired everybody wants to be loved everybody wants to be held mm-hmm. everybody wants to be received people don't want to be rejected everybody feels vulnerable everybody wants to be touched you know, whether you're into electro play or, you know, sucking toes or just missionary position on Saturday morning, it's like everybody wants the same things. Everybody just has sort of different flavors or different quirks about it. Right. I'm curious if we come into the, well, how much of our culture shapes us, our exposure to things. I'm curious about that. 
um, having recently dated someone from a completely different culture. And it was shocking just what was normalized in his world and then mine. And I realized I was so judgmental about certain things. Like that's not okay. That's wrong. But in his culture, it was normal. So yeah, that could be a whole another show. Right. I know. <laughs> and that definitely happens. And I always ask about people's cultural background, like, you know, their name. I say, so what's the, you know, what's the ethnic heritage of this name? And mm -hmm. what's your cultural background? And, and how much does that, if I don't know, I don't act like I know. I say, you know, how is this, you know, relevant culturally, if at all? Mm -hmm. oh, I forgot, what was the beginning of your question? Oh, just like how, it, you know, how we come into the, how oh, much yes. influence, I guess, is our culture and just who we are as humans, just coming in with like a personality. For example, well, there, there's, there's all these cultural factors, and then there's also experiences that shape us. You know, you say just in in your website and everything that you are not judgmental at all, and in this, I mean, you can't be, right? But is there times where you have to check yourself, or or you're completely shocked by something? And I'm always like, okay, so what's the problem? You know, traditional mm. psychology is more apt and i'm not knock i'm not dissing psychologists they're more apt to pathologize because they are trained to diagnose mm -hmm. put a diagnosis code on it and then come up with a treatment plan as a sexologist i'm more interested and and you know the field of sexology we're more interested in okay so you're doing this but like how is it a problem mm -hmm. okay so you're you know even if you're into bdsm you know and you're a heavy you know masochist all right. Well, you know, if you're ending up in the emergency room, that's a problem. But if you're getting off on it and it's consensual and the other person knows what they're doing and you have safe words and boundaries and, you know, who's to say? It's mm -hmm. like people are doing much more interesting things out there than we think they are. <laughs> really? I feel very boring. <laughs> I know I do too. I don't yeah. make no bones about it. I, I, I've explored, I've examined I know who I am. I'm very clear about it. Right. Okay. So I want to get into the fact that you are a mother as well and, and how that's also shaped your work and everything else. Um, but quickly or not quickly, but as a, an entrepreneur, you know, you have your own practice. You've had a practice for many years. What, like how much of this did you see in your future? Like, did you picture this you know, speaking and writing books. And did you, did you picture this life for yourself? I always pictured being a mother. Mm. I know I did not. Um, when I, there's statistics like, you know, like 80% of people want to write a book, you know, 20% of people actually start writing, you know, like 5% actually finish. Right. Two people actually 2% get published and 1% markets their book. Mm, it's crazy. So, yep. I never intended, I never thought I'd be writing a book, but I learned this is an aside, but you'll probably find it interesting. I, for my 50th birthday, I learned skydiving. I'm an older mom. I'm a late bloomer. I said, so my 50th birthday, I learned skydiving and I went out there and I learned how to, you know, free fall mm. and just jump out of a plane by myself. Oh, wow. And then I thought, okay, well, that was fun. And it was exhilarating and it was wonderful. 
And I took one day off a week from my practice to go do this. So I could take one day off a week and write a book. Well, I took like five mornings off for a year and a half and wrote a book. Mm. And then I wasn't just going to sit on it. And so I, I learned how to market the book and I spoke at, you know, little conferences. And then I spoke at national conferences and then I did the Ted talk and, and then I got on radio shows because you, I had something to say mm-hmm. and, and I learned how to do it. And, and at first I was like, oh, little old me, you know, I don't know how to do this. I'm scared. I'm an introvert. You know, I'm not. Are you? Yeah. I'm oh. not looking for the limelight, <laughs> but I'm passionate about what I do. Right. So no, I never, ever, ever thought I'd be doing all this. Okay. And, and I love it. Mm-hmm. I love what you said too, that you had something to say we all have something to say, right? It's just a matter of timing, I guess, or even in all these years, you, well, can you, okay. So again, really interesting statistics about writing a book as well. I didn't know that, but it makes sense. They're approximate, but there's various versions of it. Yeah. And when you like, can you walk through that moment of, I have something to say, this is what it is. And I'm going to write a book. What was that process like? No, it was my dear friend, Kathleen, who was a sexologist who has since died of cancer, unfortunately. Mm. And she said to me, you know, you know, Kathleen was a go-getter and a, you know, get shit done kind of gal, kind of like I am. Mm-hmm. And she said, you know, if you really set your mind to it, you know, you can write a book in three months. And I was like, really? Well, all right then. And I was just coming off my skydiving. I was like, okay, I'll write a book in three months. And you know, I was three months in, I was just starting to figure out. It's like, I have no clue what I'm doing and I need to get a writing coach. So I had a writing coach mm-hmm. and she taught me about the arc of writing a book and, you know, the, the structure of a book and instilling hope and, you know, the format. And so that was the moment when Kathleen said, you know, you mm-hmm. can write a book in three months. Okay. It made it possible in your mind yeah. at that point. And then you said something else. I mean, that we, if we want to get somewhere quicker, we hire help. Yes. Right. Yeah. And also, you know, I kind of, I, I kind of have to, that I have commitment issues because when I commit to something, I fucking do it. Yeah. I don't, I don't back out. So yeah. I decided to write a book. So it took me a year and a half and I wrote the book. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah, I want to be as excellent as I can be. So I hire expert mentors and expert consultants. And mm-hmm. yeah, that's huge. And yes. so motherhood. Yes. You thought I'm going to be a mom no matter what. That was what you saw in your future. It had to happen. Okay. And you said you were an older mom. I'm an older mom and I'm a single mom. Are you? Okay. So from where we're from, I have a lot of friends that work in labor and delivery in San Francisco. And they said the average age of the moms is 40 plus. So I'm not a mother, but I'm in my forties and I'm like, well, I guess I'm still on track potentially. So where we come, I mean, it's not that unique. No. Yes. And I mean, and in my clients, I have a lot of you know, parents who become parents around 40, 
Mm-hmm. Um, I just figured I had time. Mm-hmm. And it worked out. I got mm-hmm. the best kid. I just, I am so grateful. I, my son is just such a, I mean, you know, everybody thinks the sun shines out of that kid's ass, but <laughs> in my case, it does. I mean, yeah, no, he's literally. a great kid. Yeah, he, he had his, he has his moments, but it's, it was really life purpose. It had to happen. It mm-hmm. not happening was not an option. Okay. And, and one of the populations I serve around, like half my practice is parents with young kids mm. because, you know, it's like, you know, they, they've got a kid and now they're not having sex anymore. And, right. and, and one of the populations I serve is, you know, moms reconnecting with their bodies mm-hmm. and reconnecting with their mate and self-care as well as, you know, childcare. Right. Yeah. And something in your, in your experience with all of this knowledge and training, then you're, you're then experiencing that. What was that like? Was that just. Well, for the sake of full disclosure, I adopted. Oh, okay. Yeah. I kind of keep that on the down low because I don't want everybody coming to me with adoption. I don't want to be known. Oh yeah. She's the sex therapist adopted. Like, oh yeah, she's French. So let's talk to her about France. Right. Um, I, I'm a mom. I'm just a mom. Mm-hmm. But I did go through, I mean, I didn't go through the body change, obviously, mm-hmm. but I did go through a lot of what, and you know, it's yeah. like within two weeks, I had a whole new perspective. And I was like, I had a whole new level of respect mm. for mothers. Mm-hmm. It's like women are amazing. Yeah. Women are amazing. It's like, women do so much I mean I love men and men are wonderful too but until I became a mom I think I had underestimated a little bit I had an intellectual understanding but I didn't have a hands-on understanding of what it takes to be a mom and have a career Mm. and run your life and be in a relationship and have balance that's the trickiest thing I always say, you know, I'm not a, I mean, I do yoga, but I'm not like a yoga groupie. You know, in yoga, there's tree pose where you're sort of standing on one leg and you've got your knee like up against, I'm not going to demonstrate, but (laughs) life is tree pose. Mm -hmm. You're making all these micro adjustments all the time, just trying to maintain balance. You look like you've got it together, but once in a while you tip over, but you're constantly making adjustments to maintain balance. Mm -hmm and for those in your life do you think balance really exists though is there such a thing yes I do you know I remember one of my book marketing coaches when I became a mom she said you can have everything Mm. just not at the same time Mm -hmm. I've heard that before and she knew but I would say excuse me yes you can have balance you have to create it. You have to create mm-hmm. it every day. Every day. And have help. And have help. Right. Yeah. And have support and and help other moms and have other moms help you mm-hmm. and be in a relationship that supports you being a mom mm-hmm. and be in a relationship that includes your child. 
Mm -hmm. Right. And with, were you focusing on working with mothers before or did you sort of? It just happened. Happened. Okay. As you yeah. were becoming a mom. Yeah. Even before I was becoming a mom, it's okay. like, it made, it took me seven years to become a mom. Mm. I mean, you know, I, I want, I was ready, you know, I wanted it, you know, 30 years ago, but it okay. took the process took seven years. And during all those years, I had more and more parents with young kids come mm -hmm. into my practice. And it's just the reality, you know, it's mm -hmm. you're tired. Everybody wants a piece of your body right. and you're not sleeping and you're breastfeeding and your body's expanded and it's maybe not quite shrinking back and you don't want the lights on. And, you know, and, and he went from number one to number three and you know, is there infidelity because he goes and looks elsewhere because he's feeling neglected? And she, mm -hmm. how can he want sex? I still got to mop the floor and pack the lunchbox. You know, it's all that stuff. So much, yeah. And in your book, going back to that, you talk about the three steps to being more confident in life and in bed. And you did say before that how you show up in the bedroom is how you show up in life. Totally. People underestimate that. Mm -hmm. like if you don't ask for what you need in bed you're probably not doing it in your life right you're probably not doing it at your job mm -hmm. and if you put on blinders and just sort of ignore all the information that you're getting and you just sort of try and force a situation that happens in the rest of your life mm-hmm if you are able to sort of dance with your partner and yield, not surrender, there's a difference between surrender is kind of belly up, like, okay, it's like the mercy fuck, you know? Yep. Like, all right, let's do it. <laughs> but yielding mm -hmm. is like, it's kind of like, was it one of those martial arts, like Qigong or something, where you move with your, your partner's energy if you can do that in bed, you're probably doing that out in the world. And that's my big, you know, message. And I, I think I said this at the end of the TED talk. It's just, it's like sexual, and it's on my homepage, on my website. Sexuality is not just about what happens between the sheets. It's about the bigger picture of how you live your life. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's so important. People think, oh, that's just, you know, what happens in the bedroom, you know, after it's dark. It's like, no, mm -hmm. it's, it's, you you are a sexual being every day mm -hmm. out grocery shopping or you're in a board meeting you know you're not like overtly sexual but you you carry your sexuality and your sexual lens with you mm -hmm. what would be the steps to feeling more confident knowing who you are and really you know like i say in the book really owning it it's like once people have, have gone through a fuller examination, because I ask a lot of questions mm -hmm. and I kind of like, well, you know, maybe, you know, you did this when you were in college. It's like, how come you don't do it anymore? Like, they, you know, they own that. They're like, yeah, you know, that's who I am. Or like, you know, I'm into feta boas and that really turns me on. And, and you know, you can, people kind of like sit up a little, a little prouder and a little fuller. Mm -hmm. So there's... Self-examination, no, there's self-acceptance. Right. There's so much taboo and shame and mm. Catholic guilt about sex. And then the self-actualization, which is sort of a big word for saying, 
you know, how are you going to have your sexuality fit into your life in a way that works? You know, like design it in a way that works. I mean, I was talking to a client in the last couple of days. She, she is the one who wants to do more edgy things. You know, she shows up at his house with the raincoat and nothing underneath. And, you know, she drags him into a public bathroom, you know, to have sex. Not like every night of the week, but she has that sort of like wild edge to her. But the first time she did it, he got really anxious and shut her down because he was afraid he couldn't measure up mm. he was like oh wow she's this like wild and sexy thing and i don't know if i'm good enough i don't know if i can match her so i'm just going to shut her down and so for the next 15 years she shut down mm. her sexuality wow and she's in pain and she thought there was something wrong with her and she thought she was broken and mm. she tries anxiety meds and antidepressants and different birth control methods to try and boost her libido her libido is fine you know, she's not living her sexuality fully. Right. Oh, that's, that's intense. And, and probably very common because again, we're with a partner that is also not themselves owning them, their true sexual selves. So. Yeah. And you love them and you, you're invested in the relationship and everything. How many times have I heard, oh, we're best friends. Everything is good. You know, we get along so well, but we're not having sex. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so people stay and they try to make it work and they hope it's going to change. And so, yeah, so right. I just, I don't have an, I don't have an agenda for people to stay married or not. I mm-hmm. just want people to be conscious and aware and authentic, make choices that cause them to blossom and that support them. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. And it stems into every area of, of life. That's the thing. I, so. it's, I mean, I'm, not, I'm surely I'm not the only one. I mean, when I was in school, I would watch the teacher walk in and I was like, did they get any last night? You know, do they have a bounce in there? Probably step? not. <laughs> Am I the only one? I mean, surely I'm not the only but nobody's talking about it. Because, right. You know, you're a kid, you're in school all day. But I mean, you walk around, it's like you see people who feel kind of comfortable and and then the people who seem kind of like you know grouchy and uptight and angry and well that's the joke right now you just need to get laid (laughs) because it it, you can tell like you said it's it's the energy and what would what are the top questions that you get asked if you can think of a few that are just over the years have become the most common how do I communicate better with my mate and I tell people you're always communicating Mm-hmm. Always. always even when you're not saying anything you're communicating am i normal how to get more of what i want in my relationship those are like the three people everybody wants to know communication communication is always happening i mean i can give you a graphic example mm-hmm. it's like but if because people think oh it's just words it's i statements and it's you know putting flowers around stuff it's like yeah that's part of it but if you're having sex, you know, rear entry or otherwise known as doggy style mm-hmm. and her back is like really tight and you're having to grab her and pull her towards you, that she's communicating. If her back is arched and her chest is down on the bed and she's like pushing herself into you and she's grabbing the pillows, she's communicating. Right. Yeah. Okay. I don't have to spell that out. There's always communication. 
Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was a good visual. I know. Uh, yeah, I know. I, I talk a lot about, I work with people on camera and it's like, it, it's all about you telling a story and communicating without opening your mouth, yes. you know? So for you right now, what are you most proud of? It could be professional or, you know, personal. On my last house, I built a deck. And for a long time, I said I was more proud of that deck than I was at my PhD because I come from a long line of cerebral people. Mm. You know, my parents had advanced degrees. They valued education rather than physical. That's why I kind of had my jock phase because I sort of needed to swing the other way. Mm-hmm. But building that deck with no training, I was so proud of that deck because I had no training or aptitude. I'm, I'm proud of my PhD. I'm proud of my book. I'm proud of, you know, most days I'm proud of doing a reasonably good job of being a mother. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't spend a whole lot of time walking around thinking, well, I'm, you know, I'm so proud of myself. Well, it's good to, you know, check in. I think it's good, to do scary, it's good to do scary things once in a while. Mm-hmm. I, do, I really do believe that. I think it gives you a sense of aliveness and it, it's good to like push your boundaries, whether it's doing public speaking or a podcast or trying a new recipe or doing two spin classes in a row. Or <laughs> right. it's, good to, it's good to push yourself and then you find out where your boundaries are, where, you, where your limits are. If, and right. then you often find, I mean, especially with speaking, you know, you find, oh my God, that's so scary. You know, I've got like sweat literally running down my back in sheets. It's not dripping. It's like in sheets. And then she like, and then you're like, well, I pulled that off. Okay. Let's see. What's my next, you know, mm-hmm. endeavor. On to the next thing. And so with that in mind, what are you most looking forward to right now? I am looking forward to more one-on-one and one-on-two clients Mm -hmm. more more experiences like this talking with people like you and my passion is really you know a friend of mine says I'm healing the world one bedroom at a time my bedroom my my passion is really one-on-one or one-on-two therapy with clients Mm -hmm. and doing more of that um, while my kid is in school Mm-hmm. And then, you know, being a mom. But I feel like sexuality is such an intimate topic and it's so important. And so coaching clients in, in sex therapy is really what I'm most passionate about and what I most want to do right now. Okay. Yeah, that's amazing. Just doing the work. I want people to think of their bedroom with happiness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, maybe another book will evolve, you know, never say never, you know, I mean, really. Right. And, and with your son having, I mean, you were five with all of this knowledge. Is he five with all of this knowledge as well? No, oh, he, hasn't okay. asked. he has asked a few things. I mean, I've always told him, you know, the French baby slang term for penis is zizi. So I've always told him, even before he was pre-verbal, I've always told him he's got a beautiful ZZ. <laughs> and um, and he's, um, okay, I won't say any more about a ZZ because you know, someday he'll be a teenager and he'll hear this and he'll be mortified. <laughs> so I'm very affirming mm-hmm. of his sexuality because he is a sexual being. 
I'm just trying to be sex positive. He's lucky. I think. Well, you know, he may go the other way because he's got a sex therapist mom. He will be, he might be like, well, I'm not talking about that. I don't want to know. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going there. True. Have you seen the show Sex Education? Everybody tell me about that. I know. Yes. I just, yes. I just thought of that in that moment because it, it has a teenage son in it yes. and his mom is a sex therapist and it's such a great show. I think you'd really love it. I was surprised at actually how good it was. Yeah, I'm hoping that when he's older, you know, he'll come in my office and, you know, read some of the books and, you know, come with his mm-hmm. friends and like, oh my God, you know, he'll pull out the Kama Sutra. I'm like, oh, wow, you know, look at that. And, right. Yeah, start the conversations. Yeah, I do. Yeah, you know? when, but, you know, the thing with kids is, you know, I talk to parents about how to teach their kids about sex. For one thing, I say, take them to the zoo in springtime because all the animals are doing it. Like mm-hmm. it's right there you don't have to come up with anything it's you know it's right there happening and i um i tell them tell your kids before they care before they need to know yeah having these conversations and not making it so taboo so how can people find you and and your book and do you have any um, courses that you offer there's an, on- there's an online module course on my website um, I think there's a little tab that says um, course. I don't remember what the tab says. <laughs> <That's> um, <easy. laughs> so yeah, there's an online course. So you can buy the book. There's a page for the book. You can do the online course. People like bought the book and said, well, you know, we want more. Mm-hmm. We don't necessarily want to do therapy with you right now, but we just kind of like want more of that material. So that's why I did the online course. Um, people can, there's all kinds of resources on my website, which is drsix.net, D-R-S-I-X.net, or just type in Claudia Six, you'll find me. And I, you can book counseling, you can book a free 15-minute intake for therapy. It's all there. There's a blog, you can sign up for the blog, you can sign up for the newsletter, you can sign up for um, how to ask for what you want in relationship, it's a handout, so once you sign up for that. Then you get on the email list. There's lots of lots of information, awesome. lots of pages. It's a it's a dinosaur of a website. I know it's out of style. I know, but it does but the job. I was so much information. So That's much. I was loving. Find. Yeah, I was loving your blog, and I I love the way you write. It's very. It was exactly how you speak. So I really it enjoyed it. Thank you. I loved this conversation, and I really appreciate your openness and and vulnerability as well and thanks again for being here I really thank you it was a pleasure this was fun yeah and and good job to you for doing what you do thank you I get to talk to people like you it's it's amazing it's my dream (laughs) thank you so much for listening to this episode brought to you by be seen productions if you liked what you heard go ahead and smash that subscribe button wherever you're listening to this podcast so you will be the first to know when an episode is live in the first and last week of the month. And also for visibility, a review makes a huge difference, especially a five-star review. So thank you in advance if you are inclined to, to do so. And if you're a small business owner who is ready to elevate your online presence, get in touch with me, willow at bseenproductions.com. And scene is spelled S-C-E-N-E. Let's make some magic together. Thank you again for being here. I'll see you in the next episode. Until then, keep carving your own fucking path.